Hope. Good morning, New Cove. So good to see you here this morning. Those of you who are present and those of you who are watching from home, in your cars, out raking leaves, I don't know what you're doing. But welcome, everyone. We're going to talk about hope this morning. And we're going to look at 1 Peter 3, 13 through 22. And if you uh, need to find a Bible or look that passage up in your uh, phone, then go right ahead and do that. Uh, Before we get started, though, I want to tell you about something that happened to me throughout this whole year. Uh, At the end of one thing I've been doing for decades, at least one decade, is I've asked God to give me a verse for the year or a word for for the year so that as I'm reading through Scripture, I can be alert to where that word is used. And last year this time I was praying and saying to the Lord, well, I, God, give me a word. And I, if you can rewind to last year, please, you don't, I know no one wants to do that, right? But, you know, I mean, we're, Mary and I, uh, we're at that age that we kind of hunkered down. And we didn't do Thanksgiving with our family. We didn't do Christmas with our family. Uh, and no one knew what was going to lie ahead of us. And we don't today either, do we? But I just felt this ache in my soul. And as I was thinking through, Lord, what do I want this year to coming year to be? The word hope came to me. And so to, this year has been the year of hope. I don't know what word I'll use for next year. I may do hope again just from the way things look. But what I began to do is as I read through Scripture, I would find in my daily reading places where there was hope. And I would really concentrate on those places. And I want to share with you six verses before I start into 1 Peter. The last one is in 1 Peter, so that'll be my intro to 1 Peter. But uh, these are verses that kind of held me in hope through the year. And I don't know as you come here this morning or you're watching online whether one of these verses might be a verse that you would want to grab onto. Yes, and hold on to that verse for the for this season right now. So we'll put these verses up on the screen and you can Read the verse as I read it, and if this is something you want, then just jot it down somewhere so that you'll remember what this is, or take a screenshot of it. If you take a screenshot, just make sure I'm in your picture, okay? Uh, Romans fifteen thirteen is the first one. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Isn't that beautiful? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you will overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This has been a kind of an anchor verse, because without the power of the Holy Spirit, I just don't have the hope. And, and when I find myself hopeless, which I have and I do, 
then I cry out to God, God, give me hope. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to hope. A second verse. And boy, this one was so good. Not that they're all not good. This was special good. Lord, when doubts fill my mind. If anyone here doesn't have doubts, don't raise your hand because I don't want to make a liar out of you, okay? We all have questionable things that cause us doubt. When doubt fills my mind, when my heart is in turmoil. Does anybody not have hearts that are in turmoil? When my heart is in turmoil, quiet me. Give me renewed hope and cheer. Some of the translations say, and joy. Wow, what a prayer. That we take our doubts, we take our turmoil to God and we ask him to renew hope in us. Psalm 25, verse 5. My hope is in you all day long. You know what I found? That my hope, hope leaks out pretty fast. I, I can be reading my Bible in the basement in the morning and just be filled with hope. And by 10 o'clock in the morning, it's like, where did it go? What happened? And what happens is that all day long, God wants to fill us with hope. So when I feel that leak and I don't have any, I go back to him. Lord, Give me hope, Lord. I need your hope now. Uh, Psalm 62, verse 5. For God alone, my soul waits in silence, for my hope is in him. I, I mean, I tell you, there are times, not just this year, but through many years of my life, I just didn't have the words. I would just sit in silence and groan for God to do something in my heart and soul to bring me to that point of hope. And then the last one is in First Peter. And hope's one of the themes. It is our theme for this series. There are other themes in, in Peter. But it says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober... The word sober here means awake. Set your hope on the grace brought to you in Jesus Christ. See, here's what I believe, that that every day, God, through the grace of Jesus, wants to bring us hope. That we're not people who have a, a constant supply that's unending, but the, the hope comes in our relationship with Jesus. And uh, we're going to look at this passage now, 1 Peter 3, verses 13 through 22. And we're going to read this through together. And I'm just going to give you some, some thoughts and three kind of takeaways I have from these verses that have to do with hope. In fact, I'm going to kind of read this the way I read it. If it was just me and Jesus, okay? And I'm, so this is just going to be pretty raw. I hope you're okay with raw this morning. Okay, verse 13. 
Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? I'm going to go, time out, Peter. Uh, who would want to harm you if you do good? You're writing this and Nero is threatening to kill you? He eventually does it. Peter is crucified upside down by Nero according to historical record. Who will want to harm you? Peter, I don't think you're saying no one will want to harm you. I think you're saying focus on those who want to harm you. Okay, let's go on. But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. See, we're just not living in a neutral world. We're living in a world where God is watching, where God is keeping score, where there is justice. We may not see it right now, but there is going to be a day when there is justice. And so because we aren't just living alone in a horizontal world, there's a vertical world, there's another world we're not even totally aware of, don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Well, Peter, that's easier said than done. How do I just not worry or be afraid of their threats? Do I just deny it? Do I not pay attention to it? Read on. Instead, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. Worship Christ as Lord. In response to fear, I worship Christ. I I worship Christ and say, Lord, there's nothing for me to fear here. There's nothing for me to fear. I worship you. We just sang these amazing songs. You know, I I was really into it. I'm on the front row. I know why the Joneses always sit on the front row. I mean, it's like, oh, no distractions. Just focusing on the words and the music. You guys did an excellent job. Thank you so much. Wow. But worship Christ as Lord in your basement, in your living room, on a sunny day, out on the deck. Worship him as Lord. Don't allow fear to come and get you. And their threats, Christ is Lord of my life. He's in control. Their threats will never come true unless it is the will of God for those things to happen to me. He says, if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. And so as I read this, it's like for someone to ask me about the hope, they would have to see it, right? They'd have to see some hope in me. Somehow I would have to be close enough to them that they could actually see what's coming out of me. And uh, But it needs to be done in a gentle and respectful way that I don't want to be and Peter's saying don't be the judge don't be the rule giver don't be the rule keeper be the one who has hope 
and who believes in Christ and believes that he is the answer for the people that are around me. And keep your conscience clear. You know, as we relate to people, we don't do it perfectly. I know I don't. And his appeal here is, in this hope, you make things right with people. You say, hey, I'm sorry I was, had a, an angry word with you. You do that in your home. As a father or a mother, you, you say that to your children. You know, I kind of got angry and I blew up and I'm sorry, I don't want to be that guy. Will you forgive me? Keep a clear conscience. That's, that's what shows hope to people. Then if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it's better to suffer for doing good if that's what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. So here's my takeaway from this passage. In one sentence, if we worship Jesus and yield to his lordship, we will be a beacon of hope to others. I really believe that. Now, I don't know who you have regular, frequent contact with. Uh, It might be helpful for you to make a list of that. Here's who I have regular, frequent contact with. Maybe someone you see at work. Maybe it's someone that lives on your street. Maybe it's a relative. But, But make a list of those people And say, Lord, make me a beacon of hope to those people. There's there's one person on my list. I got a text message from this guy. I think it was in September, October. He said, uh, has my wife contacted you? Uh, If not, I want you to know that our divorce is final today. Well, I had no idea. I did have a little inkling that something was up. But this guy had never spoken to me about it, nor had his wife. During the pandemic, we'd had a few conversations, just brief. And I'd noticed some excess going on in her life that I thought was anxiety, like everybody. And uh, But I didn't do anything. But after I got this word, you know, my prayers for this man and his wife who left really increased. And I said, Lord, I want to be a hope giver to this guy. And so, and I didn't want to be, you know, it says do it with gentleness and respect. I wanted to be gentle. I wanted to be respectful So as I was praying for him, I prayed for an opportunity just to be able to enter this part of his story. So one day, I saw him, and I went up to him, and I said how sorry I was to hear about this, and how are you doing? I asked him, so what's been the worst part of this for you right now in the past several weeks as you've been alone his son is living with them and he appreciated the question and 
and spoke to me about from a little bit from his heart. And then I looked him in the face and I called him by name. I said, you know, I just want you to know that I'm praying for you and your son every day. I know this is terrible. So I don't know where that's going to go. But I hope if, if you talk to this guy that he would say, you know, Brett is a person of hope to me. I think when I left that conversation, he felt hopeful that, that he had been seen, that he was loved, and that he was enjoyed. That that's what I want to be, bring to people. So, uh, a beacon of hope. 1 Peter 3.18 says this, Christ. Now, in the past year, I did a study on Christ. You know, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Jesus Christ. The word Christ is actually a title. And it comes from the idea of Messiah, the anointed one. Christ, the, Jesus, the anointed one. Jesus, Messiah. And I, as I began to read the Bible with that in my mind, it kind of opened up some things for me. And because I just sort of glossed over Jesus Christ, you know. You can say that real fast. But to really think about Jesus, the anointed one. Jesus, the one promised of God to save us and to be our Lord and King, Jesus, Messiah. Jesus, it says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. Oh, wow. When he suffered for my sins and your sins, they were all future, right? And somehow in the timeless Eternity of God, he took all sin I would ever commit, and he placed them on Christ. And he has suffered for the sins of my entire lifetime and yours also. That that's what happened at the cross. And then Peter says, he never sinned. And as I read this, I, have, I pause and I think, he never sinned. Okay, Peter knew him for three years intimately. Peter knew his brother James very well. And James knew him during those years. We know nothing about Jesus. And Peter's conclusion was, he never sinned. And when we look at what the Messiah would do is that he would take on the sins of the whole world and have none of his very own. It says, he never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. Don't you love that? I love that. Christ's death was not just an, ex an example to follow. Oh, be self-sacrificing to other people. Be moral. Be good. No. He died to be able to make a way for us to come home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised 
to life in the Spirit. And we sang about that. Several songs. This is the gospel in a nutshell. This is what the gospel is. When you hear people talk about the gospel, this is the gospel. It's about Jesus and his death and suffering as one who never sinned for you and me, who are total sinners, separated from God, in order that he might bring us to God. He died and he rose again. So here's my verse, my takeaway from this. Our ultimate hope is based on Jesus, the Messiah's death on the cross for our sins and his resurrection. That's our ultimate hope. What more can we say? He rose from the dead. People throughout history and current apologists will tell you that everything rises and falls on the resurrection of Jesus. Because if he wasn't raised from the dead, he'd just be another man who lived and died. Good man. But his resurrection proves that he's not just a good man. He is God. He is the son of God who did something incredible for us to move us into an afterlife, into home with God. More than that, the resurrection of Jesus gives us meaning in life today. Just think, if there was no resurrection and nothing had any meaning, it didn't matter if you were, were ugly and violent or kind and nice. It wouldn't matter. Because why? We're, we're all just going to end up dust, just like an animal over here. It just doesn't matter. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 addresses this, and he said, if for this life only we were following Christ, then we of all men should be pitied because we're living as though there is a meaning in life when there is no meaning in life. So the resurrection of Jesus gives us meaning to where our relationships count, what we do in our work counts that that somehow because of Christ in us we're able to bring a little heaven to earth we're able to beam hope to people in a hopeless dark world because he lives in us now the last part of this chapter is really interesting because Peter goes into a story that Jesus never talked about he must have talked about it with Peter because here it is And I've just got to tell you, in reading what scholars have said about it, they're all over the place. No one really knows how to interpret this. So what I want to do is just read this with, someone says the the way you read Scripture is read the plain meaning of Scripture. Just what, what, what do you think it plainly means? So are you ready? Verse 19. So he went and preached... To the spirits in prison, those who disobeyed God long ago, when God patiently waited while Noah was building his boat. (laughs) Really? Wow. (laughs) So it took Noah, according to the scholars, 55 to 75 years to build the boat. 
And there's no indication that anyone believed in the God that Noah was following, except his family members. They believed, and I'm sure they helped to build the boat. But when Christ was resurrected, according to the plain reading of this, that he went to the people who didn't know anything about Abraham. Abraham had been born yet. They didn't know any, They had no revelation of God. Noah had a revelation of God. Build the boat. But they did not have a revelation of God. And it says only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And so, uh, okay, I did not know that. Uh, I don't know what to do with that. That's, you know, to be determined later. Maybe we'll understand later. There are lots of things in the Bible, by the way, that I find very difficult to understand. But you know what? (laughs) This is such so good. My eternity does not rest on what I understand or I don't understand. My eternity rests on what Jesus did for me when he died and rose from the dead. So, folks, I'm not worried about this passage because he has settled it. Verse 13 settled it. That's the final word. And then he says, and the water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. And so he he says that the water in the flood is a picture and that baptism, which corresponds to this, saves you as a response to God from a clean conscience. There are all kinds of interpretations of this verse. But I think one thing we can all agree on, the water did not save them. What saved them was the ark, the boat. And what saves us is not water, but it's Jesus, the cross. That that's where we find our salvation. And that, that baptism is a, as it says here, a response to God from a clear conscience. That something's already happened to me. My conscience is clear. And now because my conscience is clear... I want to be baptized. I want something to happen to my body. You know, Christianity is pretty physical. We, we get baptized. That's with our body. We take the Lord's Supper, the bread and the cup, and we remember the Lord's death. It's very physical. And God, in his mercy and his wisdom, his genius, you know, he knew that we need physical things to connect with God. It says it is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, verse 22, this verse is so amazing. Now, Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God. And all the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. Here's my summary verse for this passage, my statement. Jesus is alive today and has authority over everything and everyone.
What a way to end 1 Peter 3 and to end this section of our study of 1 Peter. Next week we start into Advent and then later in the year we'll pick up 1 Peter 4 and 5 next year. But what a way to end. He ends here with this, this verse that he has authority over everything and everyone. He is in total control over who is in control. And so because of that, we really have nothing to worry about. Things may be tough, and things certainly are uncertain. There is suffering. There is injustice. But Jesus has got this. Look at those words. He has authority over everything and everyone. Life is not the end. There is life after death. Because Jesus is raised from the dead. Now this morning as I've prepared for this talk and thought about it, it's like, well, my concern is not life after death. Because Jesus got that taken care of. My concern is life before death. Because I know so many people, and some are on my, my list of people I have frequent contact with, who don't have the resurrection as their hope, or Jesus as their hope. And they don't have life before death. They're caught up in worry and difficulty, in broken relationships, and anger and bitterness and addictions. And I'm concerned about life before death. A couple of weeks ago, I officiated a funeral. And uh, the, the man whose funeral I did, there was no conclusive evidence that he had life before death. Although... I did learn that there were several people who were beacons of hope that God had put into his life and that he, he at least heard the gospel of Christ died for your sins, all of them, past, present, and future, and he rose from the dead, that he had heard that message and he had seen it lived out in a couple of several people's relationships with him. And there's no way of knowing prior to his death if he committed his life to Jesus and got life before death. It's our prayer that he did. And it's my prayer for each one in this room and everyone watching online that you examine yourself, that you'd say, have I really had the life of Christ in me? Have I believed that Jesus, the Messiah, lived a sinless life and he offered his life for mine? And he gave me a relationship with God that I could go home with God and be at home with God here and now. And when I die, I will be resurrected and have life after death. That's what's offered to everyone here Total forgiveness. By faith, you receive life before death. 
eternal life. It's humbling. Maybe it's risky because I don't understand everything. But you know, you don't have to understand everything. You just have to experience the love of God. Now, the worship team is going to come up now, and they're going to lead us in a song that's played in the background of my mind ever since I started preparing this talk. I think you're going to like the song. I do. It's kind of a southern gospel song. It's kind of a song Tim and I grew up with. Uh, And whether you're at home or you're here, I want to invite you to do something. When we get to the chorus, the chorus is, All my hope is in Jesus. I want you to sing out that chorus with, with the, the band. And I want you to sing it in the sense of, Jesus, you are my hope. You are all my hope. And if you're watching from home, I dare you to sing that out in front of your TV or computer or your phone. That you would join that chorus and with your mouth you would confess, Jesus is my hope. Now, for some of you in this room right here, today might be your day. This may be the day where you sing out your confession of faith in Jesus. And for some of you at home, that might be true also. I encourage you to do that by faith, to sing that out. For others, maybe it's been weeks, years, or decades since you gave your your life to Christ. Well, sing out the confession. It's like... Still true today. I'm still going today. That is where my hope is. And let us know if today is your day. In the response online, just in the response card, just write, today is my day. And if today's your day in this auditorium, come up and talk to Tim or Brett or Brent or um, Troy or Katie or Beth, that's it, thank you. It's funny how you go blank up here. But I pray that today will be your day and that every one of us will confess Jesus in this room. Thank you, God bless you. We'll give our offerings during this time and there's a place in the back to get them.